started waiting. And then what? Well, we're, we're talking in this series about the game of life, about life, the life that Jesus offers us. This week we're talking about rest, which is amazing to me where this falls in sort of the scheme of the world we've all been living in in these past, this past week, right? Like, who could have set that up? We didn't plan for that last November when we set up the series for this day, this topic, to land this Sunday on the back end of what we've all been dealing with uh, in our lives, this theme of rest. Now, other than the storm we've dealt with, I want to start with a little bit of diagnostic work to see if you might need some rest in your life. And then we'll talk about what that means and how that may play out in the way God brings it to us. So, so let's just listen for a moment and see if any of this points to your life and your potential need for rest. Do you ever find yourself leaning heavy on the gas when you're driving your car? Not necessarily because you have to be somewhere, but because you just are leaning heavy on the gas. You might need some rest. Do you ever find yourself just habitually, constantly looking at your watch? Not because my sermon's running long, right? (laughs) Or looking at your phone because there's this sort of feeling that I've got to get to something, do something, the next thing is coming my way, a kind of anxious anticipation, you might need some rest. Parents or grandparents, have you ever felt impatient with your children, not because they were doing anything wrong, but because their pace, their play, their messiness was different than yours, and you began to feel sort of out of control or ill at ease? in the midst of dealing with them, you might need some rest. How about this one? And of course, hurricane prep, probably no one can escape this. You ever find yourself in the grocery store, scanning the checkout lines to figure out which one has the fewest people or the ones with the least amount of stuff in their cart, and then getting super frustrated because you've only got 14 things and everybody else has got like 600 you really, really might need a little rest. I'm going to stay in the grocery store for a minute because I was there a lot last week. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself getting a little judgy and self-righteous when when you're in the 10 items or less line (laughs) and the person in front of you clearly has like 14, 16 items? You really might need some rest. You might need some rest inside of you. You ever get angry with the person in the car in front of you and just ride right up on them? Notice cars and grocery stores, places we've all been a lot probably recently, just riding up a little bit on their tail, maybe saying a few choice words you would never want your children to say because they just didn't seem to be as in a hurry as you were. You very much might need some rest. And let's go a little more internally. Those are sort of external things that point to an internal reality, but Have you ever felt guilty when you stopped? That actually might be a signal that you need some rest. Have you found that your work is no longer actually inspiring you in any kind of way? That may be a symbol, not necessarily or a symptom that you need a new job, but that you actually need some rest, that something needs to change internally. You ever find it hard to sit still? I'll know in a few minutes. I had to just start wiggling around. 
hard to read your Bible, hard to listen to God who doesn't boom in an outside external voice but speaks quietly in a soft, still voice, you might need some rest. Do you find it hard to care about the things that you once cared about, like church or your life group or meaningful conversations? Do you find it harder and harder to listen to your spouse because you're just moving so fast internally, externally, frantically, you really might need some rest. Is it hard to be with other people? Is it hard, like when your neighbor needs help, do you kind of stall because, ah, it's just inconvenient. You might need some rest. Things you once cared about. And of course, there's that ever-present phone. Do you find that you're going for the endorphin hit of videos of cats? Jesus. Mercy. Bless you. As a total setup. See, I really am. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, you know, God's got a great sense of humor, and he wants you to laugh a little bit today. Because I suspect we're going to see ourselves in some of this and recognize our need. And in the midst of that, your enemy would have you go to condemnation, but the Spirit of God comes to bring lightness, joy, and levity. Yes, there's a time to mourn our sins. Don't, don't uh, think those things are different. But there's also a need for levity, particularly when we're talking about the need for rest. One of my favorite movies is a movie that Tom Hanks starred in called Castaway. It's a long time ago movie, but it, it still holds. He's this, this FedEx executive. He's a kind of fixer, and he's relentlessly driven by the clock. Right? He plays, uh, Tom Hanks plays the role of a man by the name of Chuck Nolan, and, and Chuck Nolan, on his way to go fix issues in Malaysia, has his plane go down, and he's cast away on an island where now all he has is a plethora of time. And the relentless schedule, the relentless drive, the relentless do more no longer works in that realm. And really all he has is sort of a kind of rest, a stillness and a quietness of just him and, you know, his buddy Wilson, the volleyball. When the Bible talks about rest, the word is actually in Hebrew, Sabbath, and we've all heard that word. That word means to stop, just to stop, to cease from labor. And it has a literal sense, that day, and I'll talk about the literal sense in a moment, but what's so important for us is the figurative sense of what rest means, the way that plays out in our lives as God seeks to weave it into us. We'll start with the literal day. God designed a 24-hour period within the context of a 168-hour week to just stop, to cease from labor, to stop working, to stop relentlessly driving, but not just to stop working, but also to celebrate God, to feast to enjoy the people in our lives, our children, our friends, our spouses, our neighbors, to play and catch this, to listen and to be attentive internally to our own lives, but also to God's life. It's this gift that God wove into creation itself. Now, for those of you who know your Bibles, 
It is in the law, the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, God actually puts the Sabbath in there. It's commandment number... Wow. Number four. You might review that chapter in the book. (laughs) Commandment number four, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But before it was ever put in the law, before it ever was something that we would make lists of and try to figure out, can we do this, can we not do that, it was actually woven into creation, Genesis chapter 2. God weaves it into the very way that he built and made this creation. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, made it unique, made it different, made it something else, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God stopped. God rested. And it wasn't because God needed to rest. He didn't have to rest. He wasn't tired. God didn't need to stop. Everybody look up and pay attention to this. But we do. In fact, why don't you say that? But we do. We absolutely do. Every living thing has to rest, has to stop, has to slow down. God stopped. Why? Because he was leading the way for those of us who would need it in whom he built a need into the creation. He stopped. He took in the goodness. He said, this is enough. I'm satisfied. I'm content. And he led the way for those of us who would need to stop too in order to appreciate, to rest, to slow down, to celebrate, to take in that which we can't take in when we're driving, driving, busy, busy, doing, doing, doing. That might be the definition of some of our lives. Driving, driving, busy, busy, doing, doing, doing. Right? That sounds like the school year, right? Any parents? Driving, driving, literally, right? Doing, doing, busy, busy. And then we wonder why we get to Sunday, Saturday, whatever day, and we're just fried. So we don't have room for God or room for each other, sometimes even room for church in our lives. We need to rest. We need to stop. God led the way. I love something that Mark Buchanan, he's a pastor, an author, a seminary professor, he said this, he said, Sabbath is a gift from the restful God to his restless children so that we might know him and be like him. A gift from the restful God to his restless children so that we might know him and we might be like him. And Buchanan goes on to say, if we are unwilling If we are unwilling to take this gift, if we refuse this gift of rest, if we neglect the gift of Sabbath for too long, he writes, your soul will become hard and you will struggle to hear God's voice. And I know that he is absolutely right. Because in the seasons where I've even been serving God, but serving him seven days a week, 14 days a month, 21 days, three weeks, four weeks straight, even in serving God, your heart can get hard and you can struggle to hear his voice, find it hard to come into his presence, to be still before his word, to enjoy the God who loves us. That's why it's so remarkable what Jesus said in that gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30, because what Jesus was doing, he was taking all that the Sabbath was intended to be, a time of rest, a time of celebration, a time in which we know God, in which we see God as bigger and 
more grand than the problems of life, and he grounded the whole thing in himself. Just as we started this series in John 10.10, if you want life, Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give it to you in abundance. In our lesson today in the gospel, he says, if you want rest, if you want Sabbath, if you want the true celebration of a heart that's still before God, at ease before God, at rest before God, celebratory before God, he says, come to me. These are remarkable words. Why don't we look at those together? Take out your scripture there if you've got it. We'll walk through those verses. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. What are these things he's talking about? He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the way God does things. He's talking about the way reality functions. The way the creation works, the way the new creation works, the way the spiritual life works, all the things that we would call spiritual, these are the things that God has taken and catch this. He's hidden them from the wise and the learned, from those who believe themselves to be understanding. Isn't it remarkable when you read the Gospels that the people who were supposed to know who God was, the Pharisees, the scholars, the theologians, the priests, the Sanhedrin, all those guys miss him. And who is it that always sees him? Well, he says, you've given it to the little children, but it's also who? The prostitutes and the drunks and the broken and the lost, the people that nobody would go, well, they'll get the kingdom. They actually are the ones to whom it is revealed. Let's translate prostitutes. Let's translate drunks. Let's translate broken. Anybody who recognizes their need their, their need to be dependent upon God. That's what a little child is. A recognition that you can't do this life on your own, at least not for the whole duration of it. And, and God forbid, I'm always absolutely broken and saddened by those who go their whole life not recognizing their need to be a little child before our God, who think themselves to be wise and learned in the ways of the world, in the ways of universities, in the ways of science, in the ways of business, apart from God. None of those things are bad, but apart from God, they cannot bring life. He says, I will reveal the kingdom. I will open the kingdom. I will show my ways, and let's just take it and make it a little more practical. I'll give my heart. I will give my heart to those who are dependent like a little child, for those who recognize their need like a little child. And then he goes on to say, yes, Father, verse 26, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. It's a remarkable statement here, y'all. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Well, if somebody came on the evening news or was on your news feed on the internet saying, the only people who know God are the ones to whom I choose to reveal Him, we would all go, that person is crazy, like, like batty crazy. What an arrogant statement to make. And yet that's the very statement Jesus makes here, which means that he's either batty crazy or arrogant off the charts, or it actually is what he says it is.
to little children, to those who are dependent, to those who are desperate and needy, I will reveal who God truly is. Apart from that, you're just groping in the dark. Radical words. In our culture, these are fighting words. But you know what? They were fighting words in Jesus' culture. Not because he was looking to get in an argument. He was making a profound point about who he is. About who he actually is and what he has come to do. And then the beautiful verse, one of my favorite verses. This, If you're a busy person, if you're an anxious person, if you're a restless person, this is one to hide in your hearts. Both here from our translation in the ESV and also I encourage you to go read the messages version of it. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice this. Come to me is invitation. It's not demand. He's not arguing. He's saying, come. He's inviting. And what that means is that God actually wants you to come to him. Not when you get all cleaned up, not when you have it fixed. If you recognize your need, your dependency, your brokenness, come to me, Jesus says, and I'm going to give you a rest, the kind of rest that Sabbath was meant to be. I'm going to give you such a relationship with God that you can begin to let your guard down. You can begin to be restored. You can begin to be renewed. You can begin to be like, like y'all... On a hot day when you've been out in the yard clearing bags, right, filling them up with leaves and cutting down branches, and you're sweating your tail off, and you're about to fall over. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> and then you get that big, that big thing of cold water, and suddenly everything inside of you begins to rest and settle. It's being replenished and renewed and restored and invigorated. It's being given life. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you that. I will give you such a peace in the presence of God, such a security in your life, such an assurance in your heart, such a celebration within you as to who God is and who you are as God's son or daughter. Come to me, Jesus says, when you labor and you're worn out and you're burdened and you've been striving to do life on your own or at the pace of the world around you, and I will give you rest. That may require something of you, though. It's an invitation, but then he says, take my yoke upon you, which, of course, is a, a farm tool, right? You take two oxes, and you take a wooden beam, a cross beam, and you link them together. And as they link together, they then pull it at the same time, the same way, and it actually like triples, quadruples what they, they can do, but they move at the same pace. And see, here's the part where the invitation to rest in God's presence is free, it's available, it's, it's an offering given, but what it takes is a willingness to get off the hamster wheel, to do things a bit differently than the people around us are doing, and to pace ourselves at the pace Jesus is going. That doesn't mean you have to be passive, because some of you are already jumping to that. You mean I got to just sit around and do nothing all the time? No. It means you hand in your car keys and you go, Lord, I, I need to learn a new pace for life, a new way of life, a new way of doing things so that I walk with you in the midst of all the things that come my way throughout the day. I walk at your pace. I walk in your way. I walk according to your heart, knowing that I have your resources. And when we drive, 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 when we go, 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 when we're not still, when we're not 
intentional about seeking him out, and often it's because we won't even make space for Sabbath. And we don't have the resources we need when the crises come, when the tragedies strike. I mean, we don't even have the resources when our plans get tweaked and we fall apart on the people all around us, right? There ought to be some heads nodding out there. All right, three of us this morning. (laughs) But ask your kids or your spouse, do I fall apart when things don't go my way? Jesus might be inviting you to come and be yoked to him. He says, learn from me. Why? He says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. Here's the thing that so many of us fear or that we're not sure of. God is not a hard God to please when we're yoked to Jesus. In fact, he's absolutely gentle. He's absolutely humble. He's absolutely easy to be around when we're yoked to Jesus, when we're connected to him in this way, when we're allowing him space, when we're allowing him room, when we're going at the pace he's inviting us to go at. He is gentle and he's lowly in heart. I remember a friend telling me about dog sitting one time, and the dog they were sitting had been um, uh, abused. So it was a shelter dog, right? It had been rescued, and I guess the dog had been abused by, by a man, so that whenever this friend came into the room, as they were, you know, the kids had volunteered them to pet sit that weekend, and anytime he would come into the room, the dog would just start shaking and then pee and then go running out of the room. And this happened over and over throughout the weekend. And what he recognized along the way was that the dog had been conditioned to fear him, even though the dog had no evidence that he should fear this particular man. Now, we tend to do that with God. We tend to fear him because we don't actually know that he's gentle and humble of heart, that he wants to bring rest for our souls, peace for our souls, security for our souls, assurance for our souls. And so do we do. We get busy. We start shaking. I don't know what you do on the carpet, but you start shaking, right? And we run the other way. We get busy because to slow down, to go at a different pace, which is what rest actually requires, means that the stuff inside that we've been cramming down and holding together starts to surface. And that can be frightening because many of us have not been equipped or given the tools with which to deal with the emotional struggles, the traumas, the difficulties of life. And so we just keep going harder and harder and faster and faster. But Jesus says, if you'll come to me and be yoked to me, and you'll begin to allow yourself the space for me to have a way in your life, I will give you rest for your soul, rest for your mind, rest for your emotions, rest for your bodies, rest for your will. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke's easy, my friends. My burden is light, my friends. And the more you allow yourself to do this, the more you give him space, the more you slow down intentionally to make room for him, the bigger he gets. And the more you become like a child, the more trusting you become. You see, you actually grow as you do this. And God gets bigger in your life. Let me wrap up with this. This is from one of my favorite books from Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. I read them, oh, I don't know, every few months, I guess. So if you're tired of them, sorry. (laughs) 
in his book, Prince Caspian, um, the children, Peter and Edmund and Susan and Lucy, come back into, into Narnia after a long absence, right? And they, they, they're wondering, where is Aslan, the king and the lion? He, he can't, they can't see him. And, and Lucy, who's the little child, by the way, who's the youngest of them all, Lucy is just aching to be with him, aching. And so she wakes up one night to this stirring in the forest and to a voice calling her. Not quite her father's voice, not quite her brother's voice, but the voice of the one that she loves most in the world. And while they're all asleep, she goes out into the woods. And listen to what happens. A circle of grass, smooth as a lawn, met her eyes with dark trees dancing all around it. And then, oh joy, for he was there, the huge lion shining white in the moonlight with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for the movement of his tail, he might have been a stone lion. But Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up in the large, wise face. Welcome, child he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. He answered, that is because you are older, little one. Not because you are, she said. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. It's a perfect description of the rest that Jesus offers us. As we make the space and allow him in God grows bigger. And our maturity in Christ is actually that we become simpler, like little children, in our dependence, in our hope, in our love, and our availability, not only to God, but to the people in our lives and the people in the world around us. His invitation to you, make the space. Come to me. You'll find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Lord, you you know even now that some of our lists are running through our heads. Help. Jesus, we really need deliverance. We really need deliverance. So Holy Spirit, would you begin a delivering work in us? Cause us, like Lucy, to long for your voice and to make space to run into your heart. To have faith to believe your words, come to me. Lord, would you break the chains off of us that we have learned in our homes and we're passing on to our children You've come to make us free. 
So we ask for the freedom of Sabbath and rest in you. Jesus, in your name, by your powerful name, by your wonderful name we pray. Amen.